This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. Today we're joined by Mark Ostreicher. He's been involved in church ministry his whole life, uh, particularly with teenagers and youth workers. He has served in churches and uh, many people uh, really got to know him in his leadership as part of youth specialties um, on the Zondervan team. He's authored and contributed to more than 60 books, including uh, one of my favorites, Youth Ministry 3.0. But his most recent book is Five Views on Youth Ministry Short-Term Missions, Are Your Trips Helping or Hurting? And it is a fantastic conversation about the good, the bad, and the ugly for uh, short-term mission trips. You should absolutely read it, but we are so glad that he is here with us to give us some time of recharge. You know, Marco, uh, I've been asking all of our uh, super veterans uh, that we've had on here, um, you've been doing youth ministry for a couple of years and involved in the field for a couple of years. Um, a lot of things have changed over those years, but what do you feel like is one of the things that has stayed the same over all of those decades? I mean, I guess the short answer to that, the easiest answer is that the nature stuff, right? There's the nature and the nurture stuff. So the nature stuff, the design, God's design stuff is still the same, right? And I tend to talk about that in terms of I mean, it's both the physiological changes that kids are going through, which creates all kinds of challenges and questions, but then it's also those adolescent tasks that many of you have heard me talk about, identity, who am I, autonomy, how do my choices matter, and affinity, where do I belong? And um, those, I think, have always been uh, a reality for um, teenagers, even before, long before they were called teenagers. Um, so that hasn't changed. I mean, it's the, it's the cultural stuff um, that has shifted, the, the nurture part of the equation. And you know, as, as we're kind of going through the, this pandemic, you know, that's an important thing, I think, to understand. And so what, is the, what are the shifts that you see um, in your work? I know that you have contact with all host of different youth workers all over the country and really all over the world. Um, what are the things that like you're getting questions or, or you say, man, I wish I could tell all of the youth workers to pay attention to this in this pandemic mm. season. Um, that's a great question. I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is I see youth workers. I've never in my life, ever seen a time when we as a tribe were so collectively burdened Mm. um, and worn out uh, and sad. Uh, I don't want to say depressed, but sad. Um, And so I, I was just, you know, these last two days with one of our cohorts of youth workers and people are just, afraid nobody's having fun i mean for the most part everybody's 
seeing a pretty big gap between what they're doing and their calling. And they're wondering whether they're doing anything actually worthwhile. Giant questions about what we do this fall. So all of that to say, first thing is that more than ever, taking care of your own soul has got to be a giant, giant priority. Uh, because there's not enough circumstantial stuff to buoy us along and to uh, lull us into thinking that we're doing okay. In, a, in, in normal time, I think so many of us have enough happy moments or things that are satisfying or life-giving in one way or another that we can, sometime, we can, po- we can kick that down the field, right, and do okay for a while. But right now, you just won't make it, right? You're going to burn out or quit or get fired or something. So that, I just think that has to be job one. Uh, I, I talked to one of my guys yesterday who just said I've, he assigned himself a homework item of taking a Sabbath day, and he said, I've worked 27 straight days with no break. And I'm like, you cannot do that right now. It's, no, it's never healthy but you cannot do it right now. Right. <laughs> right. So I would say that's probably, I would say that's job number one. Um, and then I would, uh, unrelated to that in many ways, I would say, uh, don't exercise a, uh, voice of judgment on yourself. Don't, don't spend a bunch of energy considering, um, you know, what's, what's not going to work. Everything is going to struggle right now. Nobody, it's, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to find a programming silver bullet for how to do things this fall. That's going to be a giant win and that you're going to have the same numbers that you had two years ago at your peak or anything like that. So experiment and try to connect with kids and I think it's a massive season of trust and faith for us that God is still working in the lives of our kids um, in spite of the fact that we're not feeling connected to so many of them. Hmm. Okay. Well, I was trying to think uh, in the last couple of days, what might be encouraging to you? And I realized I need to think about what would be encouraging for me. Um, You know, I'm not a full-time church youth worker like uh, many of you. Uh, My day job, of course, is running the cartel, but but I'm a junior high ministry volunteer at my church, and we start up our small groups again in two weeks. We're actually going to try meeting in person in the church parking lot. I feel I'm not excited. I'll be getting a new group, a new group of seventh grade boys. Um, and I'm often at this point when I'm getting a new group, feeling some questions about, geez, am I just too old for this? And all those kind of normal questions. But this year on top of it, I've got all these questions about, are any guys even going to come? Are the parents going to let them come? Um, will it be roasting hot meeting in the parking lot? Will it be uncomfortable? Um, you know, is it conducive in any, I I don't know. So I've got all this negative thinking and I'm not feeling very hopeful. Um, But at the same time, um, I, uh, I want to believe and I want to choose. (laughs) That's the way to say it. I want to choose to have faith that God is working 
So um, it's hard uh, to do, uh, but that's that's my desire. Um, and I thought I'd share um, maybe uh, briefly a story that I think you're probably familiar with, but I wonder if you've thought about it in the context of youth ministry before. Um, you know, in the Gospels, there's two awesome stories about dead junior hires. Um, <laughs> one is uh, the story of Eutychus, which is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. But uh, we're going to talk briefly today about the other one, Jairus's daughter. Um, and it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read it to you from Luke 8, uh, verses 40 through 56. I think you will all very quickly remember this is a very unique uh, telling because it's a story within a story. We've got the story of Jairus and his daughter bookending with the story of the bleeding woman in the, in the middle. Because it's not that long. I'm going to read the whole thing for you from Luke 8. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. This is where the, in, the inside story starts. And a woman who, uh, who was there uh, had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. And Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. He probably didn't say it slowly. I'm reading it slowly because it is our message this morning, okay? Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's mother and father. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Okay, so familiar story. Uh, let's first deal with just a few facts. Uh, almost some sidebar background here. I think you know this, but I just want to verify that you know that Jairus was a patron or a ruler in the Galilee synagogue. Him coming to Jesus for help uh, was an extremely risky political move for him. So it clearly was born out of a place of desperation combined with some element of faith. Hmm. That sounds a little familiar to how I'm feeling right now, yeah? 
Uh, also, just another sidebar. There's something very significant about the number 12. Uh, the girl is 12. The woman had been bleeding for 12 years. The number 12 is used almost 200 times in scripture, and it's considered the perfect number. It's a symbol for God's power and authority. Just a few of the references you'd be familiar with. Of course, Jacob had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. God commanded that 12 unleavened cakes of bread be placed in the temple each week. Jesus' first recorded words were at 12 years old. Jesus chose 12 disciples. 12 baskets of bread were collected after the feeding of the 5,000. The new Jerusalem made in heaven and brought to earth contains 12 gates. Okay. So 12 is, seems to be a very significant number here. Um, and it says something about God's power and authority. But here's why I'm sharing this story with us uh, today. At a metaphorical level, we are very much or should be very much like Jairus, you and me. And so my encouragement to you and to me this morning, my challenge is to be Jerry. <laughs> okay? Be like Jairus. Be Jerry. Uh, we live in a culture, and we often even work in churches where teenagers are written off or they're dismissed, uh, seen as a lost cause. And that feels, uh, in some ways, even more so true right now. It's the sense that uh, all we're expected to do is tread water. Yeah. Um, and But we exercise faith that teenagers can come alive when they encounter Jesus. And just the touch of Jesus and the simple and tender whisper, wake up, little one. That's actually the translation in another version. Wake up, little one. And it brings teenagers to life. So all around you, people will yell and wail about the uselessness of this ministry. Uh, and even if you never hear those words, you feel it in responses when you try to describe what you do. You feel it in the expectations that you would move up to some other real ministry. You hear it in the question, so what do you want to do for a job someday? Or, God bless you, I could never do what you do. Now, when the servant who came to find Jairus while he was waiting for Jesus to finish healing the bleeding woman, when that servant pulled Jairus aside and said, she's dead, don't bother Jesus anymore. Jesus overheard, and he gently says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Oh, man, I need to hear that from Jesus. Remember, Jairus had just been waiting while this other story played out. There was a pause button, and he knew his timing was critical. So he'd just been waiting. Then he had just seen Jesus heal the bleeding woman a few seconds earlier and heard Jesus say to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. It's the only time in scripture we hear Jesus refer to somebody as daughter. And it takes place right here while Jairus is waiting for healing for his own daughter. I'm guessing that Jesus chose that word as much for Jairus as he did for the woman who needed healing. And in our culture, I think uh, even sometimes in our churches, people will say, teenagers, they're dead. Don't bother with them. But Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. Just believe and they'll be healed. 
And then they get to the house and the professional mourners are in full swing and they are crying and wailing and lamenting. They're playing a role, right? They're not actually sad. They're hired to do this job and they're playing a role. They don't actually have any skin in the game. They're doing just what they're paid to do. But when Jesus says to them, stop wailing, she's not dead, but asleep, they immediately stop wailing and they laugh at him. Let's be honest. There are plenty who believe that youth ministry is laughable. People think it's cute, precious even, that we believe teenagers can lead, can teach us about God, can impact the church and the world. Jesus doesn't see the humor. Instead, and this blows my mind, activated by our faith, Jesus reaches in with a touch and says, wake up, little one. There's risk in here in this. Like I said earlier, I think Jairus likely lost standing with some of uh, the other leaders in the temple because he reached out to Jesus, despite the results. Uh, And even for Jesus, this story is like at the very beginning of the end. But I want to encourage you today in this wearying time we're going through. I think the single most wearying aspect of it for me at this moment is that we don't know how long it's going to last, right? If I knew we were going to be back to normal in two months, I would be fine. I just want to say to you and to me, don't give up. When internal or external voices tell you don't bother or it's hopeless, don't give up on your calling. Don't give up on teenagers. Don't give up on Jesus. Explore and walk with teenagers as they explore. Don't be afraid. Just believe and they'll be healed. Amen. Thank you, Marco. So what is, what are you doing right now to not be afraid? What are you, what are the sort of concrete things that, that might work for you, that, that might work for you, that also might work for us? Um, I think this kind of thing is, uh, I would say there's two things. What I said earlier about staying uh, really deeply connected to the source right now, right? So taking care of my soul, staying connected to the vine, that um, with, without that, I'm in trouble really quickly right now. Um, and then secondarily, this kind of thing, I need to be with people who get it, right? Um, two nights ago, I was in Spokane and I was having um, – uh, cigars and a chat in the evening with an older youth ministry uh, guy. He's an academic and um, just a, a really insightful, good, good guy um, who he's just beaten down right now because um, he's taken some polarizing uh, statements, uh, positions on some volatile issues, let's say. <laughs> Sure, you can read between the lines on that. And um, I asked him, do you have anybody that's a peer who understands ministry that you're walking with? And I was so glad to hear that he has a couple other people that he's walking with. 
Because if we're doing this stuff right now from a, a lonely place, and even if you have wonderfully supportive, let's say a spouse or um, friends uh, that are not in ministry, that, which is great. But I, I think that one of the things that's critical for me, and uh, I think would be true for you guys too, is this kind of thing where there are other people who understand, right? Sam on the screen right now, when he and I get on the phone and spend 45 minutes getting caught up, you know, we'll probably have 10 minutes of business to talk about, but we'll get caught up on life. And he's somebody who understands what I'm dealing with. Um, not because I've told him, he already intuits it, right? That's critical for me in this stage is uh, a fellowship of peers. Yeah. Yeah.